Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I feel very lucky that this has been saved because from someone I never really had a close connection to it's made him into a real life character that I can sympathize with and, and relate to and I don't think a lot of people have that connection with their grandparents my uh, mum's told me what a, a powerful guy he was and uh, and ultimately very brave and my memories of him are, are him being sort of quiet and, and unassuming he was a very independent spirit and to have somebody telling him where he was going to be, you know, yesterday, today and tomorrow, and every hour of the day must have been really awful for him, he, you know. So he did get very depressed, and when he was depressed, he didn't write. And mum could be waiting for weeks sometimes, literally weeks, without getting a letter. These are the words of real people written between 1940 and 1946. The views expressed may differ from the ideals of today, and there are on occasion descriptions of war that some may find distressing. Airmail Letter 40, 13th of April 1942. Good morning, Precious. Sorry to say I'm still back in hospital. Nothing serious. Dinner has come and gone and the long hot afternoon is on its way. You know, Ducks, when I look back and try to remember my letters which I've written to you, I can't help thinking how cold and unfeeling they may seem to you. I know I sometimes go right through without a single note of affection or warmth of feeling until the informal formalities of the last paragraph. I don't know whether it's the effect of the censor or the hard life or the long time since we last met, but somehow my emotions which were so near the surface when you were there seem to be getting buried more and more. It seems so petty somehow to just be writing and repeating over and over again that I love you, when all the time my real feelings are running so deep and strong. We've got the first year over without any serious damage and the road is much shared. Even though it may mean another 12 months, the end must surely be in sight. And when that time does come, that is all I'm looking forward to. Coming home and side by side fighting to win the peace, the most important battle of them all. In spite of the progress that's been made at home, it looks as if we'll still have a long way to go after the end of the Nazis. Sorry these things only have three pages. They always end when I'm just getting in the mood. Your loving Cyril. Kiss, kiss, kiss. May 15, 1942. I'm beginning to wonder when we shall celebrate this wonderful date together. Our anniversary. Last year I felt certain it would be this year, and now I feel certain it must be next year and so on. Never mind, sweetheart, when we do, we'll make up for it, and no matter how far apart we are on the 22nd at 10am, I shall always see you as I saw you then, standing with the red roses I had so much wanted. You know, darling, I always think it was the roses that made me cry. They really were beautiful. Whoopee! When I got home this morning, what do you think I find? Yes, letter card number 40. Bless you, darling. Now life's worth living again. 
You mention here that you are afraid most of your letters lack sentiment. Well, I can't deny that some of them do, but I know you aren't the type to write a lot of meaningless nonsense. But so long as you reassure me now and then that I am the one and only, that will suffice until you come home. My letters, too, are more newsy than loving very often, but it isn't for lack of love, just lack of words. I think I love you more now than ever I have done, and all I do, day after day, is wound around one thing, your homecoming. True, time makes a lot of difference, and surface emotions do grow dim, but deep down inside, where it really matters, it's just the same. Oh, my love always, Olga. Airmail letter 43, 2nd of May, 1942. Good evening, Mrs M. There's one or two things I'd like to discuss with you tonight in the pleasant twilight coolness. Just one or two things of this and that. All day I've been looking at a vase of flowers, which the nurse brought into the ward this morning. Every time I look, I think of something that happened in a lovely dream world in which I lived so many years ago. It reminded me of a morning, a day of sunshine and flowers. A little touch of life itself. A morning when a girl also laughed and cried and was also wearing flowers. But these were not the flowers she desired and so she came to where a man was standing, waiting with a flower. A symbol of everything he had to give. And his flower was the one she chose and wore and he was exuding pride with joy and happiness. But the dark clouds came and the sun and joy were overcast for they had to seek shelter, apart from a little while. But soon the sun struggled through the darkness and for many months the skies were clear above, yet always on the horizon the storm clouds threatened until at last they could be checked no longer. Storms may come, but however long they last, they also go and once more the sun will shine. When? Who knows? It must be sufficient that it will shine once again. And then, my darling, we shall live again and laugh and love again, and together we will work again. Yes, sweetheart, the flowers in the vase are roses, deep, blood-red roses, wondrous, memory-conjuring roses. Tonight my mind is rich with those memories, those thoughts of a past life which make this present existence bearable, and the knowledge that this will end and that we will begin again. Memories of a girl, a pal, the best companion ever, who walked with me and talked with me, and most precious of all, those moments when words were just useless, inadequate lumps, and the shapes of things dissolved into the mists of dreams. For many minutes now my mind has wandered on into that dream world, confusing the past with the future, until all becomes a tangled sweetness of when we met and where we'll meet again. Darling mine, I'm only waiting for that day when once again you'll be in my arms. How often I picture meeting you here or there, wherever it may be. I'll be looking for the glow in your brave, clear eyes. I'll be kissing away those tears of joy from your cheeks. We'll be going home again, we too. Home to all it means to us. Where every piece of furniture shares a happy memory to sit by the firelight and romance and live it all again. These years of parting will be but an ugly dream soon to be forgotten, lost in the realms of love and happiness, and when at last the firelight falters, then so to bed to whisper once again, I love you. Just we two, Olga and Cyril. Postcard 103, 18th of May. 1942. Good evening, sweetheart. On Saturday I received your letter number 40, and today, Monday, your number 43. I was just in time to answer the first one before I sealed it up, but your number 43, well, I just cried with sheer joy when I read it, it was so beautiful. It is funny that in the letter I had posted only two days previous, I had spoken of the same incident, the same red roses, it did seem funny. Last night I had a terrible time. I had a sort of nightmare about you. I was dreaming the most awful things and woke myself four or five times crying. They say that this is a sign of happiness. 
Well, I don't know about that, but your letters did do wonders. All my love always, Olga. Kiss, kiss. Letter 127, 22nd of August, 1942. Good evening, sweetheart. Do you realise, darling, that as I write this, it is a year and four months since I saw you? It's a devil of a long time in a world that's moving 50 beats to every one. I wonder how we shall have both changed when we meet. It'll be like starting all over again to know someone. You must have changed a lot, and yet letters seem to convey very little. There is so little we can discuss when mail takes so long, and so much that you want to discuss. Unfortunately, as well as losing you, I am losing touch with other things because I just haven't the time to put into them. I suppose you got plenty of news about the Dieppe raid. Well, it shows it can be done, but what a pity we could only go so far. It must have been a great disappointment to the French people, but a greater disappointment to 50% because it really is a great fight. All my love, Olga. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Sunday, 6th of September. Hello again, sweetheart. I was discharged from hospital this afternoon. Arrived back at our camp. I've now drawn all my kit out of stores, had tea, and also drawn a letter from the postman. Sorry, ducks. Afraid there's nothing you can send me. Oh, yes, there is just one thing. The only thing I really miss. The most important thing to me of all. What is it, you say? Why, yourself, of course. What? That's impossible. I know, but it's only as impossible as my returning home at the present time, which you've mentioned in every letter and postcard for quite a long time now. Sorry, Cherub, I don't mean to be a critic, but when you also mention that I don't write the same thing, it's time I started taking notice and having a serious talk with you. As you say, perhaps you're softer than I am. But I do know that for many, many years I preferred and kept my own company. Even on holidays I always went alone. And until you came along, I never felt the need of another presence. You certainly changed all that, but my previous training has enabled me to slip back so easily into old solitary habits, now that your company's no longer possible. I've accepted the inevitable for the present. Until some chance comes along, my mind tells me to carry on as best I can. That, as I said before, is for me fairly easy. Unfortunately, you don't appear to find it so, and so I feel so helpless that I can do so little to help you. You've successfully faced many problems and difficulties all on your own since I left. That alone should give you courage to continue facing this greater problem of our separation, because it's your bottle and it's no use blinking the fact. There's one thing to remember, and that is that whilst there's no chance of my returning in the near future, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I do come back. However long that may be, we shall still have far more time ahead than has passed, and these wasted years will give us the stimulus to ensure that these future years will not be idle. Do you remember our last holiday together in Blackpool just two years ago? Remember the elderly woman at our table? I've thought since of our conversation when she mentioned how she'd been separated from her husband for over three years in the last war, and what a terrible time she had but she'd followed these years with over 20 years of happiness until this war came along. I'll bet she couldn't have foreseen those happy years during the misery of her separation. We can only make the best of the present, darling, knowing we are laying the foundations for a happy future. This long letter is coming to an end and I expect your poor eyes will say thank goodness, but it would have taken several cards to have said all I wished in my normal writing. Gosh, darling, how I hate these letter endings. It's almost as bad as a personal parting. All my love and kisses, for one week only. Cyril. Letter 137, 19th of September, 1942. Sorry if I've been writing about your coming home. I didn't mean to upset you. It's only natural that I should say on paper what is so often in my heart, I suppose but I am quite capable of waiting, no matter how many years it may be. Actually, there are so many of we girls in the same boat that there is a mutual link between us and we make good friends of each other. I am afraid that I cannot enjoy my own company as much as you do, though. 
as I have never been used to being on my own. But then perhaps you would be different if you were in your native town. Fourth to sixth of October, nineteen forty-two. Yes, ducks. Back with the old firm after six and a half months. We've had a few changes, but many of my old pals are still in their accustomed places. That's why I applied for and obtained my transfer back to the old squadron. It is so difficult to get in the mood for real writing. Most of my stuff home has been forced work. At the moment, I'm sat on a rickety form at a similar table, pestered with flies, a noisy game of dominoes some two yards away, a dance band practice in the adjoining dining hall. I haven't a single constructive idea in my mind. What a life. Sorry I snapped at you for expressing such longings for my return. I know I didn't say so, but I was telling myself off just as much as you, for my thoughts get very much out of hand and away from the present job whenever I allow myself to start thinking of you and home and all I'm going to be with you both as soon as I get the chance. I'll leave you to say goodnight, sweet dreams of memories past and yet to come, with all my love. Good night. Kiss, kiss, kiss. ML Letter 76, 27th of October 1942. Hello, darling. Tuesday afternoon, very warm and peaceful except for these damned flies. Never have so many pestered so few for so long, as the saying goes. From sun up to sundown, it's busy, busy, busy. At mealtimes, it's a riot. The rest of the crew are trying to sleep, so I've organised the driver's seat of the tank as a writing desk, closed down the armoured flaps, and am now comfortably seated with a few inches of armour plate between me and those pestilential flies. The job has started up again out here, as you'll know by the wireless. The successful end to this desert warfare is not yet in sight, but we're very hopeful this time. We hope all the stuff we've got will do the trick. There go the RAF again, more presents for Rommel. They've given him a pasting. Flight after flight of bombers all day and night. We've only seen three or four Messerschmitts and no strikes, thank goodness. Time now for tea and I'm cook at present. Can't keep the crew waiting so I'll have to be getting organised. It's a stew tonight followed by tinned fruit and coffee. Not bad for the desert. Cheerio, cherub. Keep smiling and I'll be coming home with sunrise in my pocket. With all my love and kisses, Cyril. Kiss, kiss. Notebook entry. Thoughts of you unbidden surge and clamour for admission. To drive me almost to the verge of insane blue condition. The way you looked and walked and memories of kissing. How you smiled and talked, sweet reminiscing. The very dust that chokes and drives a man to swearing. Brings back somehow those jokes to camouflage our caring that oft we made in sweet collusion to cover up our young confusion. Sunday 8th of November, 1942, morning. I'm longing for some news of you, darling, but I'm just keeping my fingers crossed for you. I know you'll be OK. I'm proud of what you're doing. Good luck and Godspeed. All my love always, Olga. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Airmail Letter 77, 10th of November, 1942. Good morning, my darling. We came back to civilization yesterday after several weeks in the desert. We had a fairly good time considering how things were and a battle being in progress. We had no casualties in our party except me. Oh yes, I've actually been wounded in action. All right, all right, wait a bit first before getting worried. We were right up on the forward positions with an artillery duel in full swing. Well, it was more of a monologue, really, than a duel. Our lads were slinging it over and had been every minute from the first evening of the push, with the enemy replying every now and again. After three days, one sort of got used to the perpetual bang, whine, bang. It was afternoon. We were all sat alongside the tank, chatting and swatting flies when... <laughs> we're just time to duck. A few seconds later, two others arrived, but the pause was enough. We were all under the tank, me swearing and cursing like hell and holding my arm. 
piece of shrapnel about the size of an oxo cube had caught me right on the funny bone. I couldn't use my arm for a couple of hours afterwards. Luckily, it was nearly spent and didn't penetrate. The officer told us afterwards that they were bad shots which had landed short. Actually, they were meant for our guns about 400 yards away. I don't know where the German Africa Corps will be when you receive this, but by the last we saw of them, they'll be meeting the Yanks in Tunis in a few days. They were heading west, and after the pounding our boys gave them, I don't blame them either for running. Sunday 8th of November 1942, evening. There seem so many things to say. I could go on writing all night, but it's 20 minutes to 12 now, and I'm very sleepy. I received your number 77 yesterday. First news from you for five weeks. I was surprised that you had been in action at all. I thought you would have been kept in reserve, and then to go and get wounded... Well, I suppose you've nearly forgotten it now, but it'll be something to tell the kids about. And you know how soldiers' stories grow. In about ten years' time, it will make quite a good story, and won't God and be proud of his dad. Then, I could spend pages telling you all you mean to me, sweetheart, but that will keep, and it sounds better than it reads, doesn't it? Look after yourself, darling, and keep Rommel on the run. Good night and God bless you. All my love, Olga. Air Letter 163, 16th of January, 1943. Hello, sweetheart. I still keep hoping for some mail. So far, I've only had my Christmas cable and the parcel. I don't know if you've enclosed a note, but there was nothing inside for well over a month. Perhaps you were too busy to write. Anyway, I don't grumble, because I haven't written much this last few weeks myself. Sunday, January 24th. Yes, darling, three days gone. It's now Sunday afternoon. We had a mock invasion in Sheffield this morning with Civil Defence and Home Guard cooperating. It's been a big affair. Mr Ainsley was on duty with me, also Mr Harris, the divisional engineer, and Mr Baker, so I was well supported. I was downstairs in the control room for four hours. I wondered if you were anywhere near Tripoli yesterday. The big day. It must have been a very welcome relief for the troops there. Lots of luck, darling. Look after yourself. All my love always, Olga. Kisses. Airmail letter 81, 24th of December 1942. Received 27th of January 1943. Christmas Eve, darling, and here I am stuck in hospital. Have been for nearly three weeks. This is the first piece of writing since I sent you number 80 some 24 days ago. My complaint? Infective hepatitis, or what translated means yellow jaundice. It's now Christmas Day. We all hung our socks up last night and each received a present from the Red Cross. I got a hanky and an olive wood serviette ring. I keep wondering how the parcels have fared which I sent home. The mail is coming through very badly since the campaign opened up in North Africa, so I'll just have to wait. The Russians are on the offensive and only 100 miles from Rostov, and from front to rear are carrying on total war. There's something wrong somewhere. Ah well, there'll be another year, and it'll be a year when things are going to happen. Maybe some of us may come home. Until then, it's all my love and kisses by airmail. Cyril. Airmail letter 84, 10th of January, 1943. Good morning, precious. There's just 20 minutes left before dinner time, so I'll start this little epistle. Another day nearer home. I passed the colonel this morning. I've drawn my battle dress and I'm all fixed to go to the convalescent depot tonight. I gaze at the vast expanse of one of those letter cards. There's acres of space and not a single sentence in my head. Put your photograph in front of me. Put all your photographs in front of me and still I can't talk to you. I've sometimes wondered how far two people can go in the way of not displaying outwardly their feelings and yet each knows that bond of affection is still there 
and only requires that personal contact to recreate it to its glorious fullness of love. If I come back, and deliberately say if, we've so far yet to go, many things will have changed, ourselves included. Suppose trying to imagine what things will be like is just about as futile as any other post-war dream planning, and also thinking that we shall go on just as before is just as foolish. We can only wait and see. That's another point we've never even mentioned. What will you do if I don't come back? Cheer up, darling, I'm not really feeling morbid, but again, it's just another problem you'll have to face and fight yourself. Ever since I came out here, it's been like living under a perpetual threat. We've never known any security from the constant threat of action and sudden death. Even when the unit's been in a back area, there's always been the possibility of getting sent on some dangerous job as last October. Sometimes the call comes so unexpectedly. The first time I knew I was in the middle of an aircraft to you about 25th of November 1942 and 15 minutes later we were in the enemy lines with a steel hail on the turret almost drowning the noise of our own guns. Some two hours later I was back finishing that aircraft. It's not often I think these thoughts but when I do there's always several others that come with them. It's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees, said Pashanara. Remember that, ducks. When I go, it will be on my feet, fighting. And that's all there is to do. To go on fighting, as Lenin phrased it, for the finest cause in the world, the liberation of mankind. That philosophy has been a steadfast rock for me during our separation, whenever I've had any moments of self-pity. We've nothing... It's what we do that counts, so whatever happens, just keep on doing while ever there's life, alone or with someone else, for haven't we found the fullness of two where one is sterile? Damn, these things are never long enough once I get started. After my remarks above, I'd better use this space to promise to write tomorrow to tell you how I love you. Cyril, kiss, kiss, kiss. Airmail letter 96, 2nd of March, 1943. Good afternoon, madam. I'm down for discharge this week. It's been a real grand change and I'll be sorry to leave this place. But it's time I did go back and do a spot of training. I've nearly forgotten what a tank looks like. Reckon I'll soon find out. Cyril, kisses. Airmail letter 172, 4th of March, 1943. Good afternoon, ducks. My writing may be a bit scrawly because I'm writing in bed. Been here since Sunday, in fact, with influenza. Funny, isn't it? Do you remember two years ago I was in bed on my birthday? And you were there then, so it wasn't too bad. The letter that arrests my attention to the exclusion of all others is number 85. Never have you ever shown the signs of pessimism you show here about coming home. I just can't understand you. Don't think I don't realise you live in constant danger, I do. But your only counterbalance to this is optimism. Perhaps it is my optimistic nature, but I never meet trouble halfway, and because of this, I always have more strength to meet trouble when it comes than the pessimist who wastes strength before it comes. Perhaps when you wrote this you were feeling in the dumps. Well, I can quite understand that. But then again, at the end of number 94, you say... Dreams of things that were and things that may be once again. No one is certain of the future. I know and work with dozens of girls in the same position as myself. But though every one of those girls know that one day they may get something through the post that could smash all their hopes of happiness, they also know that to look on the bright side is the only sensible thing to do. I have only seen grief come to one. That was to Betty Holson but they had been great friends from being kids. One day at the office we were talking about Peter for he was to be best man at her wedding. The next morning Betty said to me, Peter is missing, and she broke down. He was 21. Pilot of a Lancaster and was the only one shot down during a raid on Essen. It made me realise how quickly these things can come. But then I thought, this was war. We had to bomb Germany and the eight members of that bomber died a very honourable death. Better by far that they had all returned home, but one didn't. 
You say the war will change many things, including ourselves, granted. I said that in one of my very early letters, but did you have some particular reason for saying that? You see, darling, a letter like that from you makes me worry somewhat. And besides, what is the harm in trying to imagine what things will be like post-war? Why do you condemn this? I know there's nothing concrete, but damn! You've got to think of something worthwhile sometime. I shall be 25 tomorrow. I don't know how old I shall be when we settle down, but what harm is there in my thinking of having babies? I may never have them, but I can think about it. When I see lovely babies laughing in prams on lawns and gardens, I think, after the war. That isn't foolish. What's that? Do I still love you? Well, I haven't met anyone nicer yet. Cheerio, sweetheart. Olga. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Airmail letter 97, 12th of March, 1943. Good afternoon, Mrs M. The newspapers have been very disquieting these last few days. There's been a whole spate of talk about Finland... Baltic states and the Polish boundary. All very diverting at the present time and also very suggestive of the shape of things to come from certain quarters. Now this last outburst of the American ambassador regarding aid to Russia has caused yet more trouble. As a friend of mine said when we talked things over in town last week, the water is getting hotter and hotter. All the froth and scum is coming to the surface. Well, ducks, we're getting towards the end again. Wonder how much longer I've got to go on writing to you. It's not much fun compared with what we've had. I sometimes wonder if I've lost the capacity for fooling. I wonder whether we'll ever completely recapture the laughter and gaiety of former years. Somehow, I can't picture a return to the old days, to the old understandings. It's difficult to explain, but these years must leave their mark of personal loneliness and grafted onto a new grim struggle of the future mean or Spartan former living. Do you think you'll be able to reclaim such a husband? You poor little thing. Toodaloo. All my love and some of my kisses. Cyril. Airmail letter 176, 21st of March, 1943. Evening, sweetheart. I must mention I found your letter number 97 received yesterday rather disturbing. I never expected all this parting, etc., to pass without leaving its impression on both of us, but to talk about losing your capacity for fooling and wondering whether we'll ever recapture the laughter and gaiety of former years distresses me sorely. I haven't lost my capacity for fooling or laughing, and frankly, I hope I never shall. You say it's difficult to explain, but I think I understand fairly well. Recently, your interests have all gone in one direction. That is not surprising considering your circumstances and the fact that you had little other interests there, whereas I have been left with all our old interests and friends. Our different circumstances are bound to make us both very different. Not too different, I hope. I am quite aware that you could have devoted your life to certain interests and causes and perhaps even never missed meeting me. I have known this before, but somehow... Together, there never seemed any difference. But recently, in your letters, I have sensed the difference, and sometimes it hurts, even though I understand it. There is no need for me to say that you are so much more advanced in many things than I am, and I suppose that is the reason. I hope you're heaps better now, dearest. Do take care of yourself. You still have all my love and kisses. Good luck, darling. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow! 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Airmail letter 99, 25th of March, 1943. Hello again, darling. Carrying on with the good work here as usual. I'm only too glad you received such a pile of mail to cheer you up. Or did it? For some of those letters must have sounded a bit blue. In fact, here I am getting a real good telling off from Madame regarding my pessimism. Sorry, ducks, I only meant it as realism. And I don't agree that the only counterbalance to my pessimism is optimism. I reject both as examples of wishful thinking. When we openly face up to the hard facts of our present positions, the only counter against depression is a full knowledge and understanding of the reason why. And then, when we fully know just what we're fighting for and can fully support that cause, it makes our personal sacrifices seem worthwhile. Simply hoping for the best, looking on the bright side and all that, is just as great a waste of strength as adopting a pessimistic attitude. It, in turn, leads to forms of inaction. You've not got to think of the post-war future as something worthwhile, as you put it. The only thing of which to concentrate on in every thought and action is the immediate task, the job. We've lost each other, we're apart. The only path on which we can travel towards ourselves is the hard path of total war. If we don't make it, well, that's that. If we do, well, we can meet the situation when it arises. For us, there's no such thing as the end of war. For us, it's the end of fascism in the widest sense, and whether we're fighting together or apart, it's the fight and nothing else that matters. Well, Olga, can I still call you my angel after that? The comrades from Russia appear to still be going well, and the 8th Army are on the move. The organisation of the 8th Army's advance is a wonderful piece of work. The MEF morale has gone up several hundred percent since Alamein. When we think just what was the situation a short six months ago... The urgently needed second front is still wanted, but we've got a far better start for the job. The need seems even greater now. The news from home doesn't seem to say much about the business, how quickly things will move when we do land in Europe. Well, darling, that's the lot. Once again, Cyril. Airmail letter 100. 2nd of April, 1943. These last few months, I seem to have had an almost permanent inertia towards letter writing. I know I'm browned off with being out here, but then I've been in that state for two years now. All the glamour of the East has become tarnished long ago. The weather is boring, and I've seen lads sit and think for hours in order to compose one sentence. I don't do that. If I don't feel like writing, well, as you've no doubt noticed, just don't write. Cyril, kiss, kiss, kiss. Airmail letter 182, 16th of April, 1943. Hello, sweetheart. I can see I'm going to have a grand time with you when you get home. The sooner the better. It's two years ago tomorrow since we said goodbye. Feels more like a lifetime. All right, we've both said our little piece. I agree, and you know that if we were talking this thing over instead of just writing, we should settle the difference between optimism and pessimism in very short time. I suppose it was because I felt that your letter needed so much counterbalancing that I went to the extreme. But seriously, darling, if I didn't give myself a little wishful thinking occasionally, I think I should just dry up. Everyone does sometimes, and I'm quite sure you do. As regards the second front... 
That will bring an end to world menace number one. At the moment, the British people are just focusing on North Africa. I think now everyone has agreed that the front must be opened, but they are in such a quandary as to how, where and when that they have almost given up. Airmail letter 104, 1st of June, 1943. Hello, you. Lovely you. I don't deserve any letters from you, yet here I am with four letter cards and one airmail letter. It's grand to know that you still loved me such a short while ago. By the way, I've never mentioned it before, but don't forget we have a date together on a Tuesday this month. It will be the anniversary of the start of the fiercest, toughest, most deadly fight ever known in the history of the world. Or is that an unfortunate way of linking up two things that occurred in 1940 and 1941, respectively? Sorry, darling, it's bedtime, and also there's just room to wish you good night. There certainly isn't room to tell you how much I love you as always. Cyril, kiss kiss. Airmail letter 101, 7th of May, 1943. Hello, stranger. Yes, it is stranger, because it's more than three weeks since I wrote a letter. The last letter I wrote was to you, and now again my first is also yours. I don't know just why it's so hard to write home. I have a whole pile of letters to answer to, so it's not for lack of something to write about. As you will have noticed, these moods have grown worse these last six months until now. It takes a real physical and mental effort to even commence writing, and the slightest interruption brings a long pause. Somehow it seems so unsatisfactory, just writing, writing, writing to you. I know by your letters how you look forward to receiving these, and I also get so impatient if I go a whole week with nothing from home. Even knowing all this, I still can't write. At one time, I did develop a regular routine of putting aside one night each week for letters, but that seemed to make things worse, for what should have been a spontaneous, happy effort has turned into a dreary, dismal duty. For several years, we saw each other almost every day growing closer and closer together, and now for more than two years, our only contact has been these letters, our thoughts becoming memories. Two years ago, I could greet our anniversary with poetry, with constructive thought. Twelve months ago, I could still make loving prose to a girl with a blood-red rose. Today, I look at my photos, portraits of a girl I once met in a dream, a lovely girl who meant more to me than anything else in the world, and who will once again fill this present dreary emptiness when the war is finished. But that is what the present really is as far as ourselves are concerned, and even writing becomes like trying to live in a vacuum. Theory without practice is sterile, and at present our practice is only in the realms of assisting each other in our work, in our fight against fascism. How can I love a letter or a photo? I want to see that face move, to see that expression change. I want to stroke that hair and whisper in those ears. To hold you and feel you live again. But that's enough. It only raises unfilled torments and leads to silly, futile yearnings wasting precious time and mental energy. I've wasted more than my share these last 14 months, except for three weeks' preparation and the actual ten days of the Alamein battle. I've done almost nothing useful. Just a round of hospitals, convalescent depots and base, and now tomorrow I go back once again to hospital. I've worked hard these last three months at this depot. I started this letter just as an introduction before replying to all yours, and here I am with no space left. Anyway, I feel it's relieved my feelings a little. What will you make of all this? Cyril. Airmail letter, 22nd of June, 1943, 9.40am. Darling, that means that three years ago it was 20 minutes to nine. I was up and busy, dressing for a very special occasion. What was the occasion? I was getting married at 11 o'clock. The sun didn't shine then. Many times since I've known why. Perhaps that old son could see what we could only guess. Years of parting and heartaches. But that day I was happy, and just now I'm sat in the dining room. In front of me is a small vase of half-opened rosebuds. 
unfortunately not red ones. And the sun is streaming in as if to try and make amends for all that has happened since then. It seems to say, someday I'll shine on you both together for the 22nd. Sweet dreams tonight. Olga. I remember camping uh, in the back garden as a, as a young child in a tent that uh, Cyril had given us, which was a leftover relic from the Second World War, and it taking about three hours to set up. Cyril and Olga were my grandparents, and my name is Mark Halloway. It was, uh, it was quite a horrific piece of kit, but um, I, Im I imagine uh, breaking that down and moving it every single day uh, as part of the, the rituals of what they did as they moved around. Um, I imagine there was plenty of, uh, of stuff for them to do, um, but it's all relative, I guess, now. <laughs> It must have been a, a terrible time to, to to get half news, really. Um, you, you were never given the full story. Um, and then to keep waiting for an actual letter from Cyril must have felt like an eternity. Cyril and Olga were my grandparents, and my name is Simon Halloway. She recognises that he'll come back possibly a different person. Um, I guess she would have heard about people coming back from the war with shell shock, with um, undiagnosed illnesses that we would we would you know post-traumatic stress syndrome things like that that we have a diagnosis for now but um, these people were coming back that she would have heard about them coming back um, people getting telegrams their loved ones would have died I mean it bad news was coming through um, at this point in the war um, it's not an adventure anymore and and reality would be quite scary. I think Mum learnt that lesson very early in life, way before she met Dad. My name is Sue Moforth, and Cyril and Olga were my parents. Um, she had quite a tough upbringing. Uh, there were three, she was the eldest of three sisters, and the middle one got sent away because her mother couldn't cope with three girls. And the younger daughter, um, Mary, who we knew as Hazel. She lived, outlived Mum by quite a few years and she told me it was a source of continued regret to her in older age, how she used to run away when their mother gave them jobs to do. Mary used to disappear and leave all the housework, the cleaning, the, the scrubbing the floors, the doing the washing to Mum. And Mum being such a diligent person, she just used to get on and do it so that they wouldn't get into any more trouble. Um, and her, grand, her mother, our grandmother, was also quite good at emotional blackmail. And I think mum learnt all that very early on, that you, you just have to get on and do stuff in order to get through it and not look back and not, not think about the emotional side of things, but just get things done. And that's what she did all her life. She just got stuff done. That was our mum. She didn't dream too much. Dad was the dreamer. Uh, he was quite romantic, but Mum was so practical. She really was. When Dad was working up the garden, he often had his shirt off, and he did carry a number of scars. I never asked him about it, to be quite honest. My name is Pete Moforth, and I'm the third child of Cyril and Olga. Uh, dad was just dad um, and because all the kids grew up in peacetime war was something that was completely alien to us so it would have just never have occurred to us to ask questions about it he never had any sign of physical impairment he was strong and fit and um, so so as far as far as we were we were concerned if, if, if there was a war wound, it was nothing that any of us really knew anything about. Join us next week for episode five of History's Letters of Love in World War II.
subscribe to Letters of Love in World War II and please don't forget to rate and review us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. For more information, head to history.co.uk or follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at History UK. Letters of Love in World War II was written and produced by Anna Priestland, edited by Joel Porter and produced and directed by Sam Pearson. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.